Welcome to another episode of Courtside Revealing Some Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with us today Vanderbilt University's longest tenured coach. This guest has spent 27 seasons as the head coach of the women's tennis team. He's won three National Coach of the Year honors, several Conference Coach of the Year honors. He's guided his team to a national championship in 2015. And as a player, he won the ACC singles title at the University of Virginia slightly before we all had the internet. The list goes on and on. We have a lot to unpack this episode. So without further ado, welcome to the pod, head women's tennis coach for Vanderbilt University, Coach Jeff McDonald. Coach, thank you so much for taking time tonight and uh, walking us through your journey. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. So, I mean, I'll start with the general question that I've asked all my you know, guests as of late. It's a crazy sure. time. You've never gone through a, an experience like this. None of us have. Are right. you doing okay? Your family doing okay? Your team doing okay? All doing okay. And, you know, it's interesting. We've been having a weekly Zoom. The, the whole phenomenon of Zoom is, is, is incredible. It's going to be interesting to see all of the good that comes out of this. You know, families eating dinner together, people gardening, exercising more, reading books, you know, understanding how important relationships are. A lot of good will come out of it. Um, Interestingly, I've been playing a lot of tennis, um, coaching a senior player who's become a really good friend, a guy named Don Napier. And we, you know, for a while, I coach him, so it would have felt like work. And I had this shift a couple of months ago where I just began to really enjoy playing and marvel, you know, instead of it being kind of stale, it felt brand new to me. And uh, that's been a real pleasure in this time. Oh, I'm sure. Um... Like I said, we have a lot to unpack on this pod. You have had a, you have had so many awesome experiences uh, through the sport of tennis. I'm curious, yeah. how how did you get introduced to the game? <laughs> it's actually a simple twist of fate. Um, it was early March of seventh grade. We had just moved from Chicago to Naples, Florida. Naples was not the huge resort, uh, wealthy enclave it is now. There were only about six or eight red lights in the whole town, the whole city. And I was going to baseball tryouts. My mom was driving, myself and a friend from seventh grade. were stopped at a red light, and a guy was waving across the street at his friend at the gas station and hit us at 35 miles an hour. This was pre-seat belts, if you can imagine, 1970. And my mom was whiplashed, and I, could, I missed baseball tryouts. And they, wouldn't, they, they said, you missed it. Sorry, play next year. Um, my mom said, I took up, I, I just signed up for a series of tennis lessons and I can't because of my back. And I had been playing basketball with the tennis guys and did not think highly of that. You know, I was a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, You're speaking anyway, my language, coach. You're speaking my language right now. Now, this was Jerry Sloan, Chet Walker, Bob Love. Right. Winkle. Pre-MJ um, days. Pre-MJ yeah. days. But anyway, um, so I, I had this idea that the tennis guys weren't, you know, I was a better basketball player. So I went out to play tennis. I took a lesson, and it was so hard, and I was used to doing things pretty well, had kind of a cocky attitude. And one of the tennis guys said, hey, do you want to play a couple sets? And he beat me love and love in about 20 minutes. And I took a ball, and I went to the backboard, and I hit for 90 minutes, and I, I was hooked. And fell in love with the, the – Part, oh, there's so much to fall in love with. I mean, just how hard it is, but also the community. There were, I used to play doubles with 75 year old men every morning. It's a great, great little world. 
Yeah. It, it, you, you hear others that say once they get started with it, there's something about it. They get hooked. You hear it in golf too. You can play so badly, yeah. but when you make that one 40 foot putt, right? You're hooked. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's similar with tennis. So obviously you got a lot better from that first uh, experience when you got blitzed O and O in about, you know, like you said, a very, very short period of time. You wound up playing college at Virginia, very good school. Um, you won the ACC singles title. How was your uh, collegiate experience playing college tennis? You know, I really, uh, I really saw the, the whole gamut of experiences. I think I was too immature to go to college. I, I played a lot of poker initially. I, I didn't quite get the books. I passed, but I wasn't that serious a student. And I really didn't live up to my duties as a scholarship athlete. And the coach said, goodbye. And I had a motorcycle wreck. And anyway, long story short, I came back in August. I rehabbed my, I, my Achilles heel almost got sliced by the motorcycle. And now what um, year was this in college? He said, goodbye my, freshman, to you. My, freshman my freshman year. And I, I stayed outside his door and I said, could I be back on the team? He said, no, I was there the next day. He said, no, the third day I, I said, if I do one thing wrong, you can kick me off, but give me another chance. And he did. And I worked really hard and uh, kind of climbed my – played six, four, three, and then my last year I played one. Had an incredible experience. Lo loved it. My grades got better. I kind of grew up playing college tennis. Well, I hope that uh, you remember your coach did that for you. So if one of your students through the years messes up one time and they went beg to come back and they'd say the same thing to you, if I screw up one more time – you know, kick me off. But I'm sure you've given kids second chances just because of Absolutely. how that Absolutely. No, I, I, David, you're right. I tell that story because, you know, I was really young. And I was, as I said, I was an immature 18-year-old. And college was so much freedom right away. I just didn't grasp, get, you know, do too well with it. But I, I am very conscious of the, the these kids are maturing. They're young. Um, I try to always look at the world through their eyes. And understand. I wonder what it's like to be 19. You're pre-med. You're you're really worried about grades, and then you got tennis. So a lot of what we try to do with with tennis is work at it, but not make it this hugely stressful, pressurized sport. There's already so much pressure, especially competing at the high level that your kids compete at. Right. Going to add to that, obviously. Right. You you um not only were successful in college, but you played on the pro tail. Uh, played on the pro tour you had some really really good wins guys against Dave, like David Pate I think he's from Las Vegas actually Wally Masur, yep. Jakob Lasik those guys are good solid pros and you guys beat them how was uh how was playing professional tennis for those few years you know it was really an incredible experience that um I got to go all over the world like if I had a choice between playing a satellite in the United States or going to Europe I went to Europe and I just always tried to Go, go all over, uh, played the Australian satellite, um, played, you know, I loved playing on clay in Europe, beat a guy named Juan Aguilera once on clay. It's the best yeah. one of my life. Yeah, and he was really good on cool clay. The umpire was making bad calls, and he and I would overrule the umpire in favor of each other. That's and nice. so we became very friendly, like, you know, not through the years, but like just while I saw him at tournaments, there was a respect because we both just wanted the match to be fairly played and took it into our own hands. No, that's great. And, you know, it's interesting what you said about traveling. If there was something in the States versus something overseas, you would go overseas. 
Evan King, who is a very good player. Yeah. He's from Chicago. And his interviews, and I've had him on my podcast as well, he said the same thing. He said, look, when am I going to have the opportunity to yeah. go to these places? I'm not taking when I'm married and have kids. It's very hard to take a family of four or five, whatever, to these places. Sure. I have no business being in these places. Let's use tennis to kind of experience that. And it's interesting that you kind of echoed Evan's thoughts there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things I encourage all of our players to do while they're here is go play in France, you know, the whole money, money circuit in France, which really, if we were going to get serious about U.S. tennis, if we just started regional money tournaments, almost like UTR or it's, it's level-based, which is what they do in France, and just let people play a lot. You know, it's not – I look at junior tennis, it looks miserable. Um, you know, they're, 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 there's no sort of soul or culture to the tournament. It's just like go to that court and play, and, you know, there's some – the parents look miserable, the kids – this should be a really fun game, and we seem to be finding a way to make it uh, not as much fun as it could be. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I know, I know, like people – Entities like UTR, they're trying to change that a little bit, trying to make it much, much more of a positive experience. And like you said, yeah. just give kids opportunities to play more and more. Um, obviously, the bulk of your career has been in coaching. So after yes. you played a few years on the Pro Tour, you transitioned into coaching. Was that something you knew you wanted to do? Did you have some, um, a couple mentors that kind of pushed you that, that way? I believe you started your career at LSU, and then you went to right. Duke, and then you went to where you are yes. currently at Vanderbilt? I mean, I've been incredibly lucky. Did I aspire to be a college coach? No. I mean, it wasn't like I, – I'm not – I really kind of think life brings you opportunities and you respond to them rather than having a master plan. I mean, I believe in, you know, having goals and things you're trying to do. But LSU um, came up – I've been really lucky to land at incredible institutions. I mean, I've coached – LSU's SEC, Duke's ACC, Vanderbilt's SEC. So <laughs> power, I've not, I mean, I've been just really, really fortunate. Um, and I originally wanted to get a PhD in English and teach. And I kind of thought a cool life might be teaching small college and being a tennis coach. The, again, it wasn't a hard and fast plan. But when I got into um, coaching at LSU, similar to when I started playing tennis, the difficulty of the, of the endeavor hooked me. I, I was like, this is really hard. You've got three doubles teams, six singles. You're, you're managing a lot at once. You're trying, and it's super emotional. It's, there's pressure. Um, and there's so much that goes into it in terms of physical training, mental training, um, the, the technique, the tactics of doubles, all the different stuff. And then while you're doing that, you're, forming really good relationships with incredibly interesting, um, vibrant young people. It, it, and then you're part of the intellectual community of the university. It's been, it's been an incredibly lucky and fortunate way to go. Yeah, for sure. And it's the relationships that you develop over those years, especially how long you've been into it. That's the yeah. best. I mean, I'm sure you've gone to, to weddings. You've seen kids being yeah. born of your students. I mean, it's, that to me is the best part. So you started, you started LSU, you, you head on to Duke, you then end up at Vanderbilt. Uh, there's something obviously you love about Vanderbilt because you've been there, what, 27 years. You've had incredible success. Uh, like I said, you've been SEC Coach of the Year several times. Your team won the NCAA championship in 
in 2015. And just kind of looking at your team's record over the years, just the consistency of being very, very good and competing very highly, competing for the highest of stakes. And it's not always about being the last person standing or the last team standing. Right. Sometimes that's out of your control. Um, just right. in sports in general, when you're competing at that highest level, wherever it is, you just hope to give yourself enough opportunities to knock that, you know, knock down that door. And you guys seem to be at such that high level year in and year out. Talk a little bit about Thanks. your philosophy, the kids you look to recruit and, and how you get your teams to consistently uh, compete at the highest level. Wow. Well, um, I learned a lot at LSU and that was a, a super development job. Um, and the third year there, we got to the NCAAs, which at that time was only 20 teams. So to get into the NCAA tournament was pretty hard. You had to have a pretty convincing case to kind of unseat an established team and bring, you know, get in as a newcomer. Uh, at Duke, I learned a lot about coaching elite players and what it's like at the top level, how to, and I made a lot of mistakes, I think. First year we were final four, um, we were consistent, final four quarters, quarters, those three years. But Yeah, that's pretty good, Coach. That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I, but I, I, don't, I think I learned a lot. I think I made a lot of mistakes um, in being too results-oriented at a young age. And then when I came over to Vanderbilt, I was struck by the potential of the school to become an elite to great school, as is Duke and as is LSU. But um, – They've not tapped into their athletic potential as much. I think we're beginning to, and I think we really can. I saw an opportunity. I've always liked development. I like finding someone, and maybe it's because I was like this. I was, a, I was certainly not a good junior, and the coach took a chance on me. Um, so I love finding someone who genuinely loves the game, and they really want to work at it. And you, you, you build that relationship, and, and when you get a, a, a group of players improving and all going in the same direction it's 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 like being in the eye of a hurricane it's an incredible yeah. feeling of wow we're, we're we're really getting better and that's always been rocket fuel for me as a coach love yeah that. that that's the magic right there and i think especially this sport is so hard and the level that your yeah. team is competing at it's so hard that if you don't love and i i didn't say like if you don't love competing it's going to be right. very, very hard because it, it is what it is. This sport, especially at the level that your teams are competing at, is very difficult. And you have to love to be able to compete. You have to love, you know, Rafael Nadal always says, right, you have to embrace the suffering. And yeah. that's what it is. That, that take, that, that's not for everybody. But if you can right. find those people and if you, like you said, get everybody on the same page, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, the recruits I get, they're really good players, but we've gotten very few, very few top 10 juniors, maybe one or two. And, and, you know, all the time I've been here, we get a lot of kids 10 through 40, sometimes lower. I like looking for someone who's, the phrase I use is under tennis. They, they, they you know, they've played, Christina Rosco is an All-American here. Will end up going to medical school after she plays the tour. Um, was a good junior, but we were it was us in the Ivies, quite frankly. And people didn't see her, and I kept thinking she's playing four days a week in Princeton, New Jersey, taking five AP classes at a tough high school. 
and she loves the game. And she's been an incredible player for us. And there are a lot of stories like that. And um, again, those kids come in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and some intrinsic motivation that can have them surging by a kid who maybe is a little tired of it. And you're right, it's such a hard game. We look for, you know, I think the number one predictor of success in tennis is if you love the game. Yeah. long-term like collegiate and pro level success you gotta love it or or don't do it it's just too hard it's too hard I agree I agree a hundred percent you know and in talking with you prior to to this podcast no matter how long you've been in it you always have that growth mindset of trying to learn and you've done some cool projects as uh you know an example is you wrote for the New York Times for a number of years you wrote that blog and when we were uh -huh. prepping for this you told me how much that helped you as a coach. If you can talk a little bit about the type of project you did for that, for the New York times and how that helped you look at um, certain things in a different way that, you know, look, you've been involved a very, very, very long time. You haven't solved the puzzle a hundred percent. No one will ever. You're constantly <laughs> trying to, to improve. And, and we'll get into, like I said, you'll talk about the New York times and there's also a, uh, a documentary that we'll talk about afterwards. Okay. Uh, want to talk about the times first? Yeah, let's talk about the times first. Okay. So um, in 2009, I actually got to know a writer on the New York Times, maybe around 2000, 2005, who was doing a kind of expose on the international older pro phenomenon in college. It's kind of a loophole where for a few years there, schools were bringing in, you know, older people who played the tour sometimes like a hundred tournaments. And then they're coming in and competing as freshmen against an 18 year old, you know, played high school tennis the year before. <laughs> Guess who won? <laughs> but, you know, so anyway, I got to know them and they sort of exposed the hypocrisy of that and the rules got changed. And they got changed where we stopped worrying about if you made any money in a pro tournament, but come to college right out of high school. And I think that benefits everybody and it made, made it a little more fair for everyone. But anyway, I got to know them, and I got a call saying, would you write, we're starting a blog called Straight Sets. I, and I thought, yeah, sure. And I didn't think it would be, you know, when I first thought, wow, what an honor, because I, I love reading the Times. I try, you know, when I would get the print paper, I'd try to read it cover to cover and learn a lot. Um, but I realized I could watch a match. Well, do you really know how to write about it? Do you know how to talk about it? Do you know how to explain concepts to people? No. So I had to learn analytics. I had to learn um, sort of state of the state of the game on the pro tour. So one of the things I always do when I go to tournaments, I don't care if it's a junior tournament, if I can meet anybody, if you and I meet in Chicago, I'm, I'm going to try to pick your brain. That's the, you know, so I, I'd go out on the tour and I'd just get to know somebody a little bit. And go, what, what happens here? How did that person get good? What are they? Wow, that guy jumped from 50 in the world up to eight. What, what do you hear? And they go, oh, this, this, and this. And then I would kind of go down that rabbit hole and learn and find out. And it really reinvigorated me as a coach. And I really believe that one of the things that's important in coaching is constant reinventing. Make it new. Make it fun. Like, kid, you know, the, um, if you're saying, well, this is what I did back in my day, it, it, it just falls flat. You've got to you – and this generation needs to know that you – you know what you're talking about, you know? And so I just took a pride in learning and delving into matches. And I got to do a bunch of neat things. I got to do some graphic interactives, Federer's footwork, 
Mm. Nadal's forehand. Um, did a really cool thing last year on the evolution of the grip, the forehand grip, <clears throat> from Continental to, to Kachinov, you know, like super Western. Yep. And like, how did that evolve and why? Um, so it's been a really neat learning experience. One year I was, I've gotten to go to press conferences, sit in the back. I don't ever ask a question, but it's amazing. You go to a Federer press conference, English first, then he'll do French, amazing. then he'll do German, then he'll do Swiss German. Amazing. English, Spanish, Catalan, you know, and he, and, and they're, you're up close with these guys and they are so smart about the game and so intelligent about it. Uh, Murray, Djokovic, those top four are so amazing. Um, the way they dissect, you know, your James Blake podcast where he dissects the fifth set tiebreaker with Agassi. That the, 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 what those high-level players are learning and, tra- you know, and what he conveyed in your podcast, it's incredible, yeah. you know? Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for stating that. Yeah, that was so, so cool of James. Yeah, awesome. And, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, I remember going through it. And he was so open about it, so cool about it. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't hide anything about it. It was so cool. So for anyone listening, right. it's, it's so good for coaches and, and your, your teams. James, um, yeah, what, what, Coach McDonald is, what Coach McDonald is saying is James dissected point by point of that yeah. 2005 U.S. Open quarterfinal match versus Andre that ended like at two in the morning. And to hear the mindset of the elite um, was, was super cool by James. So thanks, Coach. Yeah, absolutely. The other, the other thing we talked about was this documentary, I think it was in 2018. It's called Insight to Greatness. And it interviewed the three main people on it were Pele, um, you know, the, the legendary soccer player, Jerry Rice, the San Francisco 49er wide receiver, and Wayne Gretzky. And I watched that documentary, and it was so cool. And Wayne Gretzky, in any interview that he's on, I just get mesmerized when he starts talking. And oh, he had a he's couple unbelievable. Quotes. He's magnetic. 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 Yeah. There were a couple things that stood out, you know, and he said um, his dad, his dad told him this. He goes, you know, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And the other thing that he mentioned was as a junior on his junior hockey team, they were good, but they kept playing another team and they kept losing. And on the ride home, he was frustrated. And his dad looked at him and, he, and his dad said to Wayne, he goes, yeah, you're not beating them now, but not one of those players on that team is going to go to the yep. NHL. And his dad was right. Not one of those players went to the NHL, and yet there were four guys on Wayne's team that was losing, yep. the team that was losing, four guys that went to the NHL. And the reason why Wayne's dad said that was that the team that was winning at that time, they were way too structured, way too organized, way too rigid. Organized, maybe not the right word, but way too structured, way too rigid. Whereas yep. Wayne's team was a little bit more creative and coaches didn't kind of get in their way and let their natural abilities just win out. And I know we've talked about it a little bit and um, how do you kind of incorporate that with your squad as far as not hindering, you know, any of these players, individual individuals, creativity? Um, it's a really good question. First of all, I view uh, tennis, I think, it's a super creative sport. You're making decisions. You could take a backhand, you could slice it, you could hit over it, you could drop it. You can go, there's different height. Learning all that ball control and learning, it's, first of all, it's fun. It's fun to play and to learn. 
And yet short term, that player tends to lose. And we're such a short term culture right now. Like, you know, again, back to junior tennis, um, you, you know, I look at kids and I, and I go, they're not being taught some ways of thinking and playing that, that could really help them to make the game more fun. And I think learning the kind of, you know, overly uh, planned out way, it might work, but it, ultimately it's boring, you know. And you know, we do a lot of what I enjoy doing the most is what I call individuals. And we, make, we keep it really relaxed. Like if, if they're up late studying, they text me and say, I'm, I'm not going to be there at eight. Or, I'll, I'll, you know, or they come at eight. I'm there. And um, you get to know the player. And you get to know their personality and you then you say, hey, you know, this is an interesting thing. Back to the times, I was at a press conference and Nadal kept using the word solutions. Like, I'm looking for the solution on this ball. And I went, that's a really interesting way to look at it, right? And you look at how he changes his game to adapt to opponents. It's amazing. So you teach players that, like, you know, they're struggling with a ball wide, running wide to the forehand. Some, and they, they will often make an error. And you go, what's a, what's a different solution there? Let's come up with some things. And then you stop and maybe pull it out and work on that. And I like to give things names. So and often with the player and I have our own language, right? And I'll yell out, you know, that was a great Andy Murray. So Andy Murray is when you run wide and you loop up the line on the forehand, which yep. gives you time to get out of the corner and then he has such a good backhand, the ball comes back to his backhand. Mm -hmm. So you teach him that and, that, and you go, oh, and then another one we do is um, you'll run wide on the backhand to defend, and you sense the players coming in. Mm -hmm. You teach them to hit the ball softer at the feet. So yep. they give you time and they volley up. I don't have, I've not had a player come into Vanderbilt who was taught that in the juniors. So, you yeah. know, it's, it, they just they chip it but they chip it and the player just volleys it away. Yeah. You know, a lot of them can't lob like old school sky lob or underspin lob. Right. And you it's just, all top spin lob. <laughs> you just make it fun. And, yeah. and we, you know, a lot of what we do in practice are kind of games based stuff. You know, we'll play. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a game. Well, one we do is I call it the McEnroe game. You're at the baseline. I'm at the net. The doubles alleys are good. We play the half court. The player at the baseline uses a continental grip and must hit a chip or a lob. They can't hit over the ball. Okay. So, and, and they win the point if it bounces. So if I hold the ball and you think I'm going to dink you and then I lob, I might get the ball over your head, etc. So it teaches a really interesting spatial awareness for the player at the baseline to learn there are other ways to beat a player at the net other than just hitting a blasting a passing shot. It also teaches the net player how to read a racket, how to go back for an overhead, plant, come back in, play a low volley with feel, you know, et cetera. So it's a cool, without teaching all those skills, like let's go back and hit the overhead and plant and come back, they have to do it because it's a game. So I, I really believe in that kind of coaching. No, that, that's so great. And thank you for sharing that. We can, uh, we can do this for hours, Coach. Like I said, you've been <laughs> in this game for a long, long time, and I see the energy – just in talking with you before, I see the energy and the joy that you have uh, in talking about it now. It's just very impressive, obviously. And, I, and, you know, to be successful at anything in life, to really be successful at anything in life, I think you really got to love it. 
And yeah. it, uh, it, it truly, uh, we truly see that out of you. And, and my favorite part about doing all these is hearing the different people's journeys because every journey is different. Not, yeah. you know, none are the same. It's none of the same. And you can, like you said, finding solutions. There are multiple ways to come up with an answer. It's not just, you don't have to be pigeonholed to do it one way. Right. And again, that right. comes into like tennis being part of chess, like just trying to figure it out. And uh, this has been a pleasure talking with you. This really is. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You know, but, but the Gretzky, that documentary, all three of those players talk about the importance of the street. Playing, like Pele said, his best coach was the street, going out and playing. We don't do that enough with, with young tennis players. You know, I was lucky. I grew, grew up at a public park in Naples. It costs $2 a year to play. Yeah. Um, we had a Wimbledon champion come out of there. Joanne Russell won Wimbledon doubles in 77. There's a little dinky public park, but you could go just play. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that would be a cool thing to get back into tennis. Where yeah. That's, that's just, just so structured now. It's so, so structured. Right. And, and I remember Gretzky in that document, uh, documentary, doctor, documentary, sorry. Yeah. He was um, practicing with a tennis ball bouncing on ice because it bounced way higher than a puck would. So when the puck bounces on the ice, he was, he, he was used to that already. And he was able right. to handle that puck better than, you know, everybody else. And again, that goes back to the creativity and just playing. And yes, it, everything is just so structured. Now it, it, you lose something and uh, you lose something to that creativity that we start. But yeah. We'll you know, the other, the other thing is developing a little later is okay. You know, in fact, it's probably healthier, you know, again, back to the bulls, the, the great documentary that was just on was at the last dance. Yep. Uh, Jordan was cut in 10th grade from the varsity, played JV. Pippen was a manager. Rodman was at uh, Juco and not very good. And they, they loved it and they kept working at it and they became legendary. Um, you know, whereas I think in tennis, we, we try to identify everybody. You got to be great by 12 or 14. Not necessarily. Yeah, so true. Coach, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I appreciate it. And if you don't mind, um, you know, if you, we may want to have you back on again if you don't, uh, if you don't have oh, any problems. Oh, it would be my pleasure, Dave. Because you've really, got so uh, much to offer. No, I, lo I, I love talking tennis, and you're, you're, you're doing great work. I really I'll – be, I'll be listening to your podcast uh, religiously. So, uh, well done. Thanks, Coach. Hey, and most importantly, stay safe, you, your family, and your team. It's crazy, but hopefully we'll get through this sooner. Uh, rather than later. So um, best of luck to you and your teams going forward and looking forward to uh, 2020, 2021, right? That <laughs> academic year. I know. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. See ya.